This is Big Talk. Michael Glab here. My guest today in the studio, Spiridon Stratagos. That's a tough one for me. You pronounce that perfectly, by the way. Thank you. I'm going to make it easy on myself and call you Strats, as everybody else does. Everybody else does. I didn't start using Spiridon until I was about 63 years old. As a kid, one of my first memories is when my mother took me to kindergarten and told the kindergarten teacher my name, Spiridon. She said, too ethnic. Now you have to remember, this was early 50s. My mother said, well, the diminutive is Spiro, still too ethnic. Oh, sure. So she said, why don't we call him Don? I'm thinking to myself, perfect. It's the perfect American name. Don. And I went by Don until I left South Bend at 18 years old. You know, that's an interesting thing. The, the uh, Greek-American um, political bent, because um, where I come from, it's a liberal community. Mm -hmm. And uh, my father was a New Deal Democrat. He was a lawyer, U.S. attorney, judge pro tem at time. But he was very active in the AHEPA. The AHEPA was an American Hellenic association. Uh -huh. The other person that was a prominent Greek-American in our community, same age as my dad, was John Bradamus, who became a congressman in that district and a damn good one until the Ronald Reagan election where he was swept out on those coattails. Uh, he went on to become the president of either New York University or Columbia University. One of those big shot schools. One of those big shot schools, and probably had as much to do with educational reform at that time as anybody in Congress. I knew this. In fact, when I was planning this interview, I was saying to myself, maybe I should just bring a cot into the studio. I'll go to sleep and let him Because <laughs> I have a feeling you're a talker, and here's why. First off, let me tell you who this fella is. He's been an actor. He's been a restaurateur. He's a raconteur. He's a man about town. He's a Bloomington character. Plus, organizer, activist, and community leader. Now, let me ask you this. Can't you make up your mind as to what you want to do? Well, you, you left out some key periods of my life. And one I told you about before we started this interview. But I was a teacher at IU for 30 years on and off. Um, I taught English as a second language and kind of developed a uh, communication cultural course. Oh. I worked with uh, Iraqis and uh, that came here uh, as part of a leadership program funded by the State Department to, through the School of Journalism. I worked in the business school, the law school, working with international students. Um, I worked for the Abu Dhabi National Oil Company for two years. <laughs> who were head, their, their scholarship program was headquartered in Bloomington. I just finished my master's degree. Are you a spy? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, I, I'm still trying to figure out what I want to be when I grow up. When you grow up. <laughs> well, funny. A lot of people might know you as sort of an actor guy. You've been in a couple of those uh, Anspa Pizzo movies, Rudy and Hoosiers. Uh, you were the referee, Lagudi. Lagodi. Lagodi. You know, I'm not from this I, area. I could I tell that. I don't know that. how to say Lugudi. It's like Versailles. 
<laughs> that was Hoosiers. In the movie Rudy, you were Coach Gillespie. Yeah. So you're pals with those two guys. Did you know Coach Gillespie? I know nothing. Uh, coach Gillespie was a well-known Hall of Fame Illinois high school coach. Gordy Gillespie, guy. Joliet Central Catholic. Ah. Yeah, yeah. Real well, guy. Well, that's right. Rudy was based on a, a true story. Based on, yeah. So you've done all of this stuff. Hey, I've got to tell you, I, I dug up an article where in this article they're talking about you and an employee of yours at one time, his name Michael Cassidy, <laughs> the guy who now runs Uptown. They said Michael Cassidy, quote, and his buddy Strats perfected the art of the breakfast. <laughs> well, let, let, let me back up on that. Go ahead. Uh, Michael and I met uh, during the... Uh, turbulent uh, 60s, late 60s. He was from Fort Wayne, and I was from South Bend. And um, <laughs> we both got involved with this uh, spiritual movement and joined the ashram, me before him. At any rate, one of the, um, the uh, weekly rituals was to have a big Sunday breakfast that we cook for everybody. And Michael and I... Neither one of us, I think, came to that with any background, other than the fact that my family was in the business, but I never cooked breakfast, would make breakfast, breakfast for everybody. It was during that time that we found this recipe in the Tassajara Bread Book, which is a Zen monastery in, mm -hmm. in uh, California for cottage cheese pancakes. Cottage cheese pancakes? Well, they pancakes. still serve them at the Uptown, and, and if you haven't had them, you ought to try them. They're, fan I they're fantastic. But Michael and I developed that recipe and he's been serving cottage cheese pancakes for 40 some years now we both found jobs at a little restaurant called the vienna doghouse chicago style doghouse with me. you know it was typical chicago vienna dogs they did hamburgers that were like ground beef in the steam tables and the, and the buns with poppy seeds and the buns with poppy Marianne seeds and bakery Ex I, I don't know if they got the but they may have they yeah. may have at, at any rate they decided they wanted to do breakfast and they they said why don't you two guys start our breakfast business on only on saturday and sunday mornings which right. was we were a hit from day one it was the the, the bar crowd from the night before. I mean, we were swamped. We were making hollandaise sauce for Eggs Benedict by scratch. I mean, it, wow. it, it, it fried us. But we bonded as partners on that grill. Shortly thereafter, it was a group of hippies, for lack of a better word, that um, would gather around Dunmeadow. And our leader was a guy named Steve White. He's long since deceased, great guy, who would bring a big kettle of soup down and we'd give the soup out free. Mm -hmm. And he had this idea to open up a vegetarian restaurant. Mm -hmm. He found a place on 10th Street and we opened it. It was a group of people and some are still around Bloomington that were part of that group. I was one of the first dishwashers, was my first job at the, the New Age Deli. The New Age Deli was the first vegetarian restaurant in Bloomington, huh. and it opened with great fanfare. We had a Swami from India, I don't know where he came from, that you know, gave blessings to the day we opened, and we served completely pure vegetarian cuisine, and, and the place prospered 
for about a week, <laughs> maybe a month or two. In the interim, I met, this is a whole nother story. I was involved in the, the formation of the Sufi house. Uh, we did Sufi dancing and da-da-da-da. One day, a guy came in from New York and said, you've got to meet this guy named Swami Rudrananda. I met him. He's incredible. Mm-hmm. Michael Shoemaker and I, who was the founder of the ashram here and is still the head Swami Chitananda now, at any rate, um, asked us to come out to New York and visit. You've got to meet this guy. Well, I, I'm going to get back to the restaurant business. <laughs> it all ties together. I, it, it does. I, I went to Sufi camp in Paradise, Arizona, on the grounds where Timothy Leary and Richard Alpert and all these guys would do their, their LSD experiments. Mm-hmm. The place was incredibly magical. Mm-hmm. Michael went to New York to be with Rudy. We just so happened to meet at the Indianapolis airport. He says, I'm, I'm moving, lock, stock, and barrel. you got to come there. You meet this guy. guy. So um, I said, I will. But in my mind, I was going to India. I was going to India to meet my guru. Huh. But, but I'll stop by New York and meet this guy on the way. Okay? <laughs> so um, I'll never forget pulling up with two other good friends of mine, one of whom is still in that ashram in Portland. I've been living in the desert. Pir Vilayat Inyat Khan, who was our Sufi teacher, was this slight, white-bearded, white-robed ascetic, brilliant man, um, uh, very intellectual, who led these gorgeous oral meditations. And here I come into New York and see this big, fat, bald Jewish guy wearing an orange shirt sitting on his stoop on 10th Street. But he smiled at me, and the smile just went right through me and broke my heart. Huh. And he says, get in your car. We're going up to Big Indian. He had an ashram, a country retreat in Big Indian. I went up there with my buddies, and they put me to work on the, in the goat farm, putting kerosene on fence posts. And we, it was during break time, and I'm walking around, and there's Rudy. People are, you know, bowing down to him, whatever. And he calls me over, and he hugged me as he, everybody was getting hugs from but he put his forehead to my forehead and I felt this pulsating like protrudence hitting my head and I, my, 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 my head went back in a swoon and then he ran his finger down to, very gently to the base of my spine and I really just fell over and he caught me and laid me down on the gravel and I, I can only describe this experience as an out-of-body experience. Mm. I was looking at myself lying there with a grin on my face. <laughs> and he walks away and says, just lie there and absorb it. Well, I spent the summer there, three about three months. And he says, I'm sending you guys back, David Comito, Michael Schumacher, myself, to Bloomington to start an ashram in Bloomington. We said, we don't have any money. He says, any schmuck can do it with money. I wrote famous last words. And he was right. At any rate, we came back, and I went back to the New Age Deli, and it was just about ready to close. Mm-hmm. I mean, there wasn't the funds to keep it going. It was just being held together by a shoestring. And Jeffrey Morris and I, uh, he was involved in the ashram in the early days, came up with the money to bail them out. Mm-hmm. It was less than $5,000, by the way. And we named it the Dow. And I always thought that I came up with the name. Jeffrey thinks he did, but we've we've agreed to 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 say we collaborated on the name <laughs> the Dow, and the Dow kind of morphed into the ashram. 
Okay, I'm back to the restaurant business now. All right. Dow dinner, you know, uh, rice and beans and seaweed. It had, we, were, we were into macrobiotics at the time. I'll never forget a couple African-American guys came and got the Dow dinner, came up to the register. And I said, how was everything? They said, man, I need some grease. <laughs> I've got to go check out the colonel because I need some grease. Cause this was, <laughs> at, at any rate, um, I, I had, for lack of better words, I had a little fallout with Michael and left the ashram. And uh, this was like in 71, 72. Mm-hmm. And uh, went to graduate school. Uh, finished my degree in religious studies, went into Uralic and Altaic, uh, which was at the time to, where they taught Tibetan Buddhism. The Dalai Lama's uh, older brother, Tupten Norbu, was one of my teachers, Helmut Hoffman, who was one of the world-leading authorities on Tibetology, particularly the pre-Buddhist religions, Mumpo, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful person. But my buddy, Pete Pulitzen, comes back from Vietnam. We were fraternity brothers when I first came here. Right. And I said, Pete, why don't we take over your uncle's business, the Gables? So we go to Uncle Pete. Pete was the bookkeeper for the family. Um, Charlie, four brothers, Charlie and Deacon were the cooks, and Nick ran the soda fountain and mm-hmm. did the sports stats. And they never changed jobs for 30-some years. <laughs> they closed. They, they sold the business in 68 to uh, another fella who ran it for five years and had trouble. The campus shifted. It wasn't a, a center of the activity. Uh, the new library moved up way off on East the library 10th Street, had been right, right across, right across the, street. the street. Exactly right. Kirkwood was nothing like it is today. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, I'm going to give this guy a chance. I'm going to let him go another five years. Within a week, he died in an air, uh, airplane crash. Mm. Uh, Clayton Puckett was his name. And Uncle Pete called us up, you guys, you really think you could do this? I was 23 years old, and Pete was 24 at the time. And even though our family's been in the restaurant, we really didn't know And I mean, I'd cooked at uh, the, the, the Vienna Doghouse and washed dishes at the New Age Deli and, and invented the, the veg burger at the Dow. That was an interesting thing. As a matter of fact, the day we invented the, the veg burger, I took a chalkboard out in front of the Dow and put over three sold, over 10 sold. We, we, I think we ran it up to about 100 before we discontinued that. Right. But, and it's, you know, it stayed on the menu to, to the end. At any rate, we took over the Gables. And kind of gave it a Greek theme. We had some wonderful people that worked for us. Um, Rosa Reykjavik, who was a wonderful cook, taught Michael Cassidy a lot of stuff that he still has incorporated in terms of soups at the Uptown Cafe. And we hired Michael Cassidy as our breakfast cook. See, I'm getting there, Mike. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Again, depending who you talk to, Mike or myself, we had a little disagreement one day. He says he quit. I says I fired him. It doesn't matter. He left and opened up the Uptown Cafe mm-hmm. on Walnut. Tiny little rock and roll diner. Kick-ass food. The music was deafening. Pete and I ran the Gables until 68. We closed it. Long story. Um, Pete moved away from town. I went to graduate school and got my master's degree in applied linguistics. 
that's when I got into the teaching English as a second language gig. And I stayed out of the restaurant business for seven years. <laughs> Worked for the Abu Dhabi National Oil Company. As a uh, spy. As a spy. <laughs> uh, met wonderful people from the Middle East and uh, because we represented Arabs from all over the Middle East and helped him <laughs> ranging from everywhere, getting their Mercedes shipped here from England to mm -hmm. getting into graduate school. And, but my role was basically was monitor the kids that are on scholarship from the oil company. Through their matriculations, I would work with admission officers, blah, blah, blah. At any rate, seven years of that, I mean, oh, only two years with the Abu Dhabi oil, oil company, I was ready to go abroad, mm -hmm. which is the only reason I got into this degree in the first place. All my classmates are going all over the all over the world. One of them ended up as one of the hostages in Iran. Wow. <laughs> yeah, but um, uh, my job, I get with the Abu Dhabi, was in the Poplars Building, two blocks from IU. I, mm -hmm. I, I went probably the shortest distance. I wasn't sure I was going to get this Malaysian job, and Michael came to me and says, "Man, I have this cha chance to open up a restaurant, move to the Allen Building." And he said, I'd love you to be my partner. I said, well, I'm thinking about going to Malaysia. I didn't get the job. I was one of the alternates. They took 10 people. I was like 12. Borrowed 20000 from my Uncle John. And Michael and I became partners for 15 years. And the, the rest is history in terms of the Uptown Cafe. And Michael's doing well, and I'm very happy that he is. I sold my interest to him in 2001 and have not looked back. It's a hard business. You know, I want to add one more thing to your lineup of positions. Forrester. <laughs> well, yeah. You were cutting wood this morning. I was indeed. Big, big oak tree, I felt, last year. I had a knee replacement, so I'm behind in my cutting, and I'm back at it. It was semi-cool this morning. And so I, why are you cutting wood down? I burn wood. I have two wood stoves in my house. I've lived in Owen County for 38 years. I've heat I do have a backup central heating mm -hmm. cooling system. But during the winter, I'd say 90% of the time we burn with wood. I love it. I love the ambient heat. You know, you're like a walking Monroe County History Center. <laughs> you just told me uh, a few minutes ago you and Pizzo yeah. Angelo Pizzo yeah. were the first guys to do the StoryCorps thing yeah, when we the were. trailer came but It here. probably had more to do with him than me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he called me and asked me if I'd do this. And I said, man, yeah, what do you want me? Do you do this with your mom or your brother? Or, you know, yeah. you know. He says, well, they, they want to know about the early, the late 60s, early 70s, and being a student on campus during that time. What did you guys talk about? <sighs> we, we had a very similar arc. We both came here and joined fraternities. Mm -hmm. um, he's a year older than me. You couldn't live off campus at that time. Until, you were, you, until you were 21, you, had either, you, you, you either had to live in a dormitory or fraternity. Uh, that changed in a couple years, mm -hmm. and I, I was, as soon as it changed, I was gone. But I met him through Pete, who was my fraternity brother. Angelo was a Sigma Nu. At any rate, we, um, <laughs> this was a tumultuous time oh, on yeah. campuses everywhere. Oh, sure. And Angela and I both had a very liberal um, bent to us. And uh, even though I was in ROTC for a year, probably, uh, for the record, the only F I ever received in, in, in ever in, on my transcript is ROTC. 
and I'm and I and I'm proud of that F, by the way, because by the time I got to my second semester of of my of my freshman year, I realized what the hell am I doing here? <laughs> you know, these guys were going over as yeah. as, as second lieutenants, and yeah. oh, it was it was a terrible situation. But my worldview changed, of course, dramatically. And then there was a night that. Um, and we were smoking pot back then. And and by the way, that in the fraternity, that was considered a no-no, smoke yeah. pot. But um, in 19, first, uh, January 1st, 1969, was the first time that undergraduates under 21 could move off campus. Uh-huh. And he did, I did. Interestingly, I moved off campus, a beautiful farmhouse south of town, which is long gone, with not, David Anceball, mm-hmm. who I hardly knew at the time, and Harry Gonzo. Do you know who Harry Gonzo is? Tell me. <laughs> Harry, I don't. Harry Gonzo was the star of the 1967-68 Rose Bowl team. He was the quarterback. Wow. He also um, <laughs> uh, was Mitch Daniels' chief of staff. So the three of us. Now, Harry was the straightest guy in the world. And I like Harry. I mean, he is who he is. I've always respected him, um, and we have a good relationship, but we couldn't be further apart politically. He was straight then. Mm-hmm. Dave and I weren't. <laughs> <laughs> Which made for a very... He, when we would get stoned, he would flick the lights on and off. <laughs> thinking that he was blowing our minds and we'd be laughing at him you know thinking that he was you know tripping us out but it was it was a it was a weird combination of things speaking of anspaugh you just showed me a photo yeah of you and him (laughs) and a third fellow who you're both trying to convince of something what goes on in that photo that's a really interesting photo mike you're skipping ahead now Mm-hmm. Uh, to uh, 1984, 85, yeah. uh, where An- Angelo had written this. Um, An- Angelo had a career in, in Hollywood, working as a producer and a script doctor. For, I think he worked for Time Warner. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, Time Warner sold to one of the bigger studios, and he got severance pay, and that's when he took the time off to write the screenplay, Hoosiers. Mm-hmm. And um, although we were close and kept connections we weren't really close yeah and i say this in the story core interview our bond at that time was iu basketball hmm. which was we were in our heyday with That's coach right. knight and all that stuff so he'd call me about scores and da 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 so he, he he writes this screenplay and uh, we could talk for days about that but but finally got the money to 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 to, to produce and, and 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 shoot the thing and uh, asked me if I would uh, help out selecting the, the basketball players. I played basketball in high school and was kind of a basketball junkie at the Hyper Building. I played with some great players. I played with a lot of the IU guys. And uh, I agreed to go up and look at potential players mm-hmm. at IUPUI Gymnasium as basketball players we wanted yeah. basketball players first right. then we could show yeah. them how to not me but the, david and his his crew could teach him to act yeah, but they want they, they didn't want to be phony about their mm-hmm. skills god i started hearing all this 
radio, television, these open calls. And I call up Dave and I said, man, this thing is big. And here I'm going to show up. I, I own a restaurant. I mean, mm -hmm. they're going to, th he said, you're right. This is terrible. Can you get somebody that was a basketball player to, to help you out to, you know, I'm taking the red eye. I'll be there in the afternoon because we started the auditions. I, I have, I don't, you may not know the name Tom Abernathy, but Tom played on the 1976 team, played for the Lakers, the Warriors, the Pacers. Great guy. Grew up in my hometown. And I called Tommy and said, Tommy, could, could you help us out? He was so gracious. He came with me. Tommy Abernathy and I and an older guy who's a friend of our, one of our fraternity brothers, looked at seven, over 700 kids in two days. Now, you can really tell if a kid can play basketball in about three seconds. So anyways, we've, we, we narrowed it down to about 50-some kids that called Tom and I into the room. And they said, Strats, we love you, but we're giving the basketball coordinatorship to Tommy. Mm -hmm. Understandable. He played at every level of the game. And Tommy, God bless him, he said, what about Strats? He said, oh, we'll take care of Strats. We'll let him have a role in the movie. And he can be your assistant. I said, hey, sounds good to me, you know. So Tom and I started working with the team. As it were, a real team, Hackman would come and we'd set up plays and this and that. And I got to audition for these little little roles. And I picked out the one I did, the, the, the goatee ref, yeah. only because there were two scenes. The first scene was, was eliminated, but it was a scene of Hackman looking out the back door of the school and George, the interim coach, paying me off, which set up... The kickout scene. Uh -huh. if you, if, I mean, if you're familiar with the movie, you know, after I kick him out, that's it. I'm putting you on file with the state commission. I'm not leaving your car. Uh, the camera pans up to George, and he's got this little sneer on his face. Mm -hmm. Well, you don't really understand that unless you would have seen the scene that was omitted. You know, that was all very, very sub deep subtextual. Yeah. So I got both gigs. Well, what happened before we started shooting basketball, Tommy says, I really don't have time to do this. He just started a commercial real estate business in Indianapolis. You know, 5000 bucks for him was nothing after playing for the Lakers and the, you know, and the Warriors and the Pacers. To me, it was all the money in the world. And they said, will you do it? I said, yeah. So I became the basketball coordinator and got the scene in the movie to boot. Wow. <laughs> so uh, the question was about David in this picture. picture. Okay. Let me be perfectly honest with you. Uh, Gene Hackman was the consummate professional. You've seen him in uh, the hundreds of films. He's, he's good. For a brief period of time, he was in everything. Almost everything. Uh, during this time, as a matter of fact. Mm -hmm. and, but, but Gene thought this was hodunk. Here you got a first-time director. David had done television and won Emmys. Mm -hmm. he'd, he'd, he'd worked at Miami Vice and St. Elsewhere and uh, Hill Street Blues was his first break, mm -hmm. um, but had never done a feature. And Angelo had never written a script in his life, although he had looked at hundreds, maybe thousands of them. And here we are in Indiana, and you got two first-timers. He was very difficult for David to work with. He would not take direction. And... Um, had a little bit of that problem with me because I would have to show him how a coach moves and when we do drills and this. And so this picture that you're referring to really talks about the futility. of You see David in that picture. It's like, he's like, he's broken. He's dejected. And I got my hands up. It's like, listen. And, and Gene has got his hands crossed with his back to both of us. 
So that, that picture just encapsulates the relationship, particularly that they had. Now, I will say this. After I did the scene, which took two days, Gene came up to me and said, really good job. And we became buddies. Spirit on Stratagos. Strats. Yeah. Thanks for joining us on Big Talk. Mike, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Mm-hmm.